Hello and welcome to week number one in the new series called The Four Biggest Questions in Life. We're going to be in Genesis chapter one. Hello there and welcome to the Believer's Church Podcast. A podcast about real people, real problems, and real answers. Podcasting from the beautiful East Tennessee mountains. Here's your host, Pastor Mike Friday. You know, I've found a number of questions that just kind of leave me stumped. And I, I really don't have a clue what the answer is. Maybe you can help me with some of these. You ready? Here we go. If someone with multiple personalities threatens to kill himself, would it be considered a hostage situation? <laughs> Why is a person who plays a piano called a pianist, but a person who races cars not called a racist? Okay, you ready? Here's another one. If you are a kleptomaniac, is there something you can take for it? Why don't you ever see the headline, Psychic Wins Lottery? And, you know, why is the meaning of life hard to find when you have a dictionary? I saved that last one for last because that's actually one of the questions we're going to be talking about in this series, the four biggest questions in life. And there are four big ones. They're huge. It doesn't matter, you know, um, whether you're a Western or Easterner or conservative, liberal, capitalist or socialist or a philosopher, a scientist, a surgeon. It really doesn't matter. I think there are four questions all of us have asked and are asking and will continue to ask until the end of time, until Christ returns. And that is, who am I and how did I get here? Why am I here anyway? And what is right and wrong and how should I live? Where do I go after I die? You see, there are a lot of places you can turn to for those answers. But myself, like millions of other people, want to turn to God's Word, and hopefully, beginning today, you will see why we believe that's the best place to turn, because in God's Word, we find the solutions to the most profound, complex, and far-reaching questions the human race has asked. And I believe this is so vitally important, especially for teenagers and college students, because when we understand where we came from and why we're here and how we should live and where we're going according to the God who created us, only then can we move from asking the questions to being sure of our past, our present, and our future? So today we begin with the foundational, fundamental question, who am I and how did I get here? Even though that is a very deep question, there can only be two really relatively simple answers. I mean, either God purposefully made us to be here, or we just accidentally made it here. Or, I guess to put it another way, either I'm here as a happenstance by chance, or I'm here by divine design. So I would just ask you to consider these words. We're going to be in Genesis 1. Look at verse number 1. It says this, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And in those words, if they are true, they answer this great question, who am I and how did I get here? You see, ultimately, those words right there are going to lead us to answer the who and the whys and the whats and the where questions in this series. And so in here is the biblical perspective of the world and the answer to this first basic question. I'm going to give you a couple of things here, a couple of thoughts as we go along. The first one's this. You know, you and I live in an incredible world created by God. Look at Genesis 1 and 1 again. It says, in the beginning, God created. You see in those first five words, if they are true, then we're not here by evolutionary chance, but divine choice. When did all this come about? Well, it says in the beginning. Who brought all this about? It says God. 
How was all this brought about? Scripture says it was created. And the rest of the Bible gives us the why to that question. Now, let me give you several reasons why this best fits the facts, both scientifically and philosophically. First of all, science and cosmology now admit that matter is not eternal. The universe has not always existed. It began with a finite period of time. Now, you don't have to take my word for it. Jastrow, an astronomer and the founding director of NASA's Goddard Institute for Space Studies, summarized after decades of scientific research what is now accepted scientific truth about the universe. He said five independent lines of evidence, the emotions of, or the motions, I'm sorry, of the galaxies, the discovery of the primordial fireball, the laws of thermodynamics, the abundance of helium in the universe, and the life story of the stars point to one conclusion. All indicate that the universe had a beginning. Scientists believe that this beginning was a big bang. Well, that leads us to the second question. Whatever has a beginning has a cause. The universe had a beginning, therefore the universe had a cause. It's a cause. Now, that leads to the second truth. Scientists now accept that uh, there is more unbelievably staggering coincidence that just make this universe a great fit for life. And let me, let me tell you what I mean. Astrophysicists now know that the values of the four fundamental forces in existence, gravity, the electromagnetic force, strong nuclear forces, and weak nuclear forces were determined less than one millionth of a second after the Big Bang, as so-called, alter any one of those values, and the universe would not even exist. Listen, if the ratio between any two of those forces had been off by even one part in 100 quadrillion, no stars would have ever formed at all, and there would be no universe. But wait, but there's more. The fine-tuning necessary for life to exist on any planet, it's just incredible. Today, there are more than, more than 200 known perimeters necessary for a planet to support life, every single one of which must be perfectly met or everything just falls apart. You know, the point is, the odds against there being a universe, much less a planet, much less a planet with life, are astronomical. I love the way the noted scientist Francis Collins put it. He said, when you look from the perspective of a scientist at the universe, it looks as if it knew we were coming. Now, the third thing scientists have now admitted is that life cannot arise spontaneously by random natural forces from nothing. Life has all the markings of being created by some intelligent agent controlling, directing, and manipulating, manipulating the entire process. Nothing has given more force to this argument than the discovery of DNA. Scientifically, there is no evidence of spontaneous generation. Listen, only life produces life. Now, when you put all this together, it just blazes this trail that leads right back to Genesis chapter 1. God, who is eternal life, has given us earthly life on this planet that he personally created to sustain life. So we've got two options here before us. Either a dead God is the creation of humanity or a living God is the creator of humanity. Either God is a fragment of our imagination or we are the fruit of his creation. The truth of the matter is ultimately all scientific roads lead back to God. That's point number one. Point number two, I would say this. You and I live in a world fully controlled by God. You see, Genesis 1 not only tells us that God created this world, but that God controls this world. In the very beginning, the earth was just an empty shell. Look at verse 2. 
The earth was without form and void, and darkness was all over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. There was no life, no light, no food, no water, no animals, no plants, no humans, not even a sound. All is dark and all is silent, but everything changes in three words. Look at verse 3. And God said. That phrase is used nine times in this chapter. You see, every time God speaks, the sun begins to shine, stars begin to twinkle, moons begin to glow, rivers begin to flow, and plants begin to grow. Animals and humanity begin to live, and nothing happens unless God says so. He is in complete control. So we've got two choices here. Either everything is here by pure chance, or everything is here by divine choice. Either everything is here by random selection, or everything is here by divine election. That is why the first 10 words of this chapter, in fact, the entire chapter, are so important because one of two things have to be true. We are either here by the Lord or we're here by luck. But there's a problem with that. If everything is here by luck, we're out of luck. I mean, to put it another way, if God is not in control of everything, then in the end, no one is really in control of anything. Everything's up to just sheer luck. But therein lies another problem. I, you know, I don't, I don't like the word luck for one simple reason. If there is a God, there is no such thing as luck. If there is such a thing as luck, then there cannot be a God. The reason is very simple. You see, in Genesis 1, if it's true, not only is there a God, but this God is sovereign. If God is not sovereign, he is not God. And if he is not God, he simply is not. Anything is up to chance. Then there is no chance there is a God. But if there is a God who is sovereign, there is no chance there is even a chance. Now, what we call chance or luck is simply another way of referring to mathematical possibilities. Right? For example, what are the odds if you flip a coin that it is going to stand on its edge? Well, 0%. What are the odds it will turn up heads or tails? Well, 100%. Right? It's going to be one or the other. What are the odds it will turn up tails or heads? 50-50. You see, none of those have anything to do with chance. It's all a matter of mathematical possibilities and probability. In other words, what are the chances that chance can do anything? I would say not a chance. Not a chance. If you believe in a sovereign Lord, you cannot believe in arbitrary luck. And that's good news because that means, yeah, God allows dictators to rule, but only by his permission and knowing rain falls, yeah, because he controls the clouds. Our lives are not in the hands of the fate of someone where there is no control. Our lives are in the hands of a sovereign God who's in control of everything. God is in control of everything, and that tells me that there is a plan behind everything and there's a purpose for everything and everything in life. I mean, just common sense. Logic tells you that every building has a builder, every structure has an architect, every arrangement has a plan, right? I mean, we are a creation of God living under his sovereign control And this God has a purpose and a plan. Number three and last, I would say this. You and I live in a world where we can be connected to God. So as we consider this last thing about the world that we live in, um, it, it says something about us as people. Look at verse 26, Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on earth. Now, the best explanation of not only the world that we live in, but the 
people in it is found right here. I mean, if we evolve from animals and we are nothing more than animals, just slightly more complex than every other animal, then why are we so vastly different from every other animal? Why do we appreciate beauty and art, music, and poetry? Why do we care what color the walls are painted? Why do we like certain kinds of music? Why do we like to go to symphonies or museums or concerts? I mean, have you ever tried to take a cat to your favorite concert group? Yeah, let me know how that goes. Why? Because there's a huge difference in us. I mean, why do we have a conscience and feel guilty? Why is it that animals kill and eat other animals with no sense of remorse? I mean, deep down, we know that for humans to kill and eat another human, it's just wrong. Why do, I mean, why do we even wonder and question who we are and how we got here? Why do we possess the ability to think things through? I mean, why are there so many differences in degrees of intelligence between animals? But there's a vast gulf between the intelligence of a human and an animal. Why is it that we train animals, but animals don't train us? Why are animals afraid of fire, but we use fire? Why do we read? Animals don't. Why can we write? And animals can't. It is because there is this one major difference. We were created in the image of God. We love what God loves. We think because God thinks. We know deep down there is a right and a wrong because God has told us what is right and what is wrong. It is because we have been created in his image that we can know God, have a personal relationship with this God, worship this God, glorify this God, and obey this God and be conformed to this God rather than any other animal on earth. It is because life did not come from non-life. Life came from life. More specifically, listen, the God who is eternal life created us with a heart to know him, a mind to seek him, a soul to worship him. That is why this God sent his son Jesus Christ to die for us and give his life so that we could enjoy eternal life. So why do I believe that this creator is the God of the Bible? You know, not only does creation testify to a creator, but to a loving creator who became a part of his creation, who became a human just like us, so he could die for us and save us and give us the only real life worth having, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ, his son. Hey, thanks for joining us on today's podcast. See you next week. Thanks for listening to the Believer's Church Podcast. Visit us online at www.believerschurch.tv Facebook.com slash believerschurch.tv Follow Pastor Mike at twitter.com slash mikefriday and instagram.com slash mfreallife Check out the other podcasts all about life and the world. Until next time, keep it real and come on.